Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me, you're in North Carolina, right? I am. Yeah, is Lloyd Reb. And Lloyd has a book out, which has been out for some time, but I wanted to let my listeners know that Bo Parfett, my co-author, recommended Lloyd. Uh, and Lloyd is an exceptional coach. And it's from success to significance and when the pursuit of success isn't enough. Lloyd, thanks for being on the show. You're so welcome. Good to be with you, Greg. Well, it's nice to have you. And I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. I was a successful real estate developer who made a halftime transition. And I'll say halftime because literally um, Bob Buford wrote the book Halftime and Lloyd is gives much of his time to the Halftime Institute. So in 1993, by redefining his success and reorienting his focus toward the second half significance, uh, Lloyd is the primary spokesperson for the Halftime movement, movement, helping successful people pursue significance. Uh, for more than 15 years, he's dedicated most of his time to speaking about halftime issues, uh, leading uh, helping people lead from success to significant workshops in midlife transition. Uh, he's a regular conference speaker. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is the wife, Linda, and three adult children. And I want to mention, we're going to make available some books from Halftime uh, that people will be able to get from our site, one called Finally Connected, Um Halftime for couples. So people can see these. There's three of them. And one of them he actually co-authored with his wife, Linda. So I want to give her credit for that as well, Lloyd. But I would like to kind of um, start this podcast off um, with, you know, in the introduction of the book, you you speak about navigating your own halftime and you spoke about it in your bio as well and making different choices. Um, and not leaving things to chance. Uh, if you would let the listeners know a little more about your encounter with Bob, the impact he made in your life, and how it really affected you spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every different way. Because this show is about personal growth, and that means all of those things. So I think that would be a good place to start this. Yeah, you know, it it struck me as I looked at leaders uh, coming up in my 20s and early 30s that there were a lot of people who just drifted through their midlife and woke up um, in their 50s or 60s surprised at where they ended up and were disappointed. Many times they traded um, rich relationships just for more success and accomplishment so often I saw them trading health and wellness for just simply more accomplishment or more success or more material things. And I thought to myself, it doesn't look like drifting through life, just reacting to the career challenges and running kids to soccer and dance and then maybe going to church, maybe not, and just kind of watching some football and getting on another plane to go to another business meeting. It was going to take me where I wanted to go. Right. And so I realized that I needed to be chief life officer, not chief, just chief executive officer. And they're very different things. And I decided I was going to go from making a living to making a life. 
And what you need is a Sherpa. If you're going to try to get up Mount Everest and you've never been up there before, you need somebody that can take you up, that's been there before, That's uh, this is not their first rodeo. And so in 1993, I stopped, looked up from my desk and asked, is there more to life than just growing my real estate business? And we were, my partner, Andrew, and I were building retirement communities. And and uh, it, I love that business. I love taking care of people's grandmas and grandpas, right? I mean, Greg, there's nothing more special really than looking in a senior's eyes and knowing that you've created a safe place where they're thriving in the latter years of their life. But um, I realized I really wanted more to life than that. And so I started exploring what I could do. How could a re- uh, successful real estate developer make a contribution? I started mentoring prisoners and things like that. Eventually, somebody introduced me to a gentleman that had been super successful in cable TV business and had decided that success was not enough. And he wrote the book Halftime. The subtitle was Moving from Success to Significance. So um, do you find, do you find Lloyd, though, you know, I, I always ask this question. I since I always ask this question, but I ask this question because I think it's on the minds of the listeners. People have a desire to do it, yet they're caught in the everyday things that they think they've been programmed have to be done, like making money for the kids' education and paying the mortgage payments and doing the things that they have to do, that they don't see where they could actually even pull a slice of time away because really our most precious commodity is time. Um, mm-hmm. Let's face it, right now, my listeners are listening to two older gentlemen speak about something that we have um, some wisdom around. And if you were to give them some wisdom about that, because I think people get caught into the trappings. This society has been designed to make that happen. Um, and those trappings cost, meaning when I say cost, they can cost you your life because like you said, you can have ill health, but they also can cost you a lot of your time. What advice would you give somebody that's listening right now going, okay, guys, this is great. I want to go to significance, but I don't know how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you really distill it down, you get clear, you get free and you get going. And in in even more granularity, you get a little bit clear, a little bit free and a little bit going, and then you gain more clarity. So the clarity that you're looking for is what do I really value? What do I want at the end of the day? The way that you and I could frame it up, Greg, is I'm 61, and let's just say that you and I bump into each other 30 years from now, and we're sitting on a park bench in Laguna Beach near you, and um, overlooking the ocean, and I say to you, gosh, Greg, 30 years went so fast. How did it go for you? And suppose you look off in the distance and you give it some thought, and then you look me in the eye and you say, you're not going to believe it, Lloyd. Those 30 years went perfectly. What would you have to scroll through in the back of your mind to draw that conclusion? Those are those big commitments. Those are the loyalties of your life. That Those are what I would call long-term metrics. And you write them down. I have six of those things. Once you're clear on what you want long-term, then a lot of other things are not as important. 
simply not as critical. And you can start cutting low value things out. So that's why I say get clear and then get free by ruthlessly eliminating low value things in your life. So often we default to what our culture says is important. Right. And this is particularly difficult for young moms because they're comparing themselves with every other young mom. But there are mothers of many styles. Some moms are really super organized and some moms are super creative. And, and you know, but, but because of social media, they're comparing themselves with every other mom. And you got to have everything just right. And you end up running yourself ragged and not knowing what is the most important thing for you in your life. And as a result, many people in a younger generation end up with panic and anxiety and stressed out. I spent a lot of time with young emerging leader men in their 20s and 30s, and I find that they haven't gotten clear on what they want long term. I do a, an event once in a while at Deloitte University, which is just outside Dallas, and these are young partners just getting started in a really successful career in you know, a major accounting firm. And I asked them, you're a consultant. Would you ever help a client build a strategy that didn't have clear long-term metrics? And they tell me no. They tell me all the reasons why not. And then what they don't realize is I'm setting the hook deep in their mouth and I'm about to yank on it. (laughs) And I say to them, now, I want you to just take a few minutes and write down what are the long-term metrics for your life? And then we're all going to share them. And panic goes through their eyes because they don't have long-term metrics for their life by and large. So the place to start in order to get out of the insanity of of the busyness of our culture is to write down the five or six or seven primary loyalties, the long-term metrics of your life. The second thing is to get clear on your purpose. If you don't know your purpose, then you just have like a career maybe. You just have – you're sloppy busy. You're busy with stuff – but it's not necessarily on point. Mm-hmm. So write a mission statement. I think those are great, great bits of advice. I would also say when somebody has a perspective, you know, when you have a life-threatening disease or illness, you seem to get very clear about many of those things that you want to create in life. And whether it's cancer or heart disease or whatever it might be, Unfortunately, it doesn't have to be that, right? Because this whole concept of, hey, you say eternal life. Well, yes, we are going to die in this physical form. And I think if you say, hey, well, I'm going to, I know in the Buddhist traditions, they focus on that. It's like, okay, I'm going to get a watch. I'm going to set it every hour. And I know I'm one hour closer to death, right? And I think it's what's really important, Lloyd, is for people to really understand that perspective. And most people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and even 50s, they don't give a lot of contemplation uh, to that element of their life. And, you know, in your book, The Two-Minute Warning, you have this chapter, The Two-Minute Warning, A Life-Defining Moment. You spoke about your missionary trip to Albania and returning home just before the granding opening of this retirement community. And I remember you writing kind of eloquently about this design and the build of this, you know, uh, this building. But there was this aha moment for you. And you speak about these contrasting events and you call them, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, Kiros uh, moment. And you tell a story about your trip 
uh, or can you tell the story about your trip to Albania and how these two events changed the course of your life? Because this to me seemed to be, you called it a life defining moment. It certainly seemed in the book for my listeners to be your life defining moment. And it was this contrast between the life in Albania and the life you had here at home as a developer making retirement homes and something clicked for you. What was that? Yeah. So the two minute warning in football is, you know, that comes before halftime is uh, everybody knows, okay, you've just got a certain amount of time and then you're going to go into the locker room and you're going to rethink your strategy. And that, that buzzer rings and everybody stops and, you know, you, you know, it's, it's a, it's an awareness. And that Kairos moment was an awareness. And in the old language, Kairos means a right time or a season or for those coming from a faith perspective, a season when God interrupts your life. That's a Kairos moment. And this was a Kairos moment for me because communism was falling in Eastern Europe. Many of those countries were struggling. And in Albania, the farmers were starving to death. Mm -hmm. What happened was they were always told what to grow. The government, the communist government took the crop from them, gave them a small stipend to live on. And then all of a sudden the communism fell and the market-driven farming was emerging, but they'd never been trained to think like farmers in America. And so as a result, they grew products like watermelon that they had to transport and they didn't have a supply chain. And then they got to the Greek border where people could afford to buy watermelons and when they all showed up at the same time with the same product, prices dropped. They didn't understand supply and demand. And that winter in 1992 and 1993, the government realized their farmers were not equipped for market-driven farming. So I had the privilege of taking 100 American farmers to Albania and help them think in their primary ag- agricultural communities, how, how to help them think like capitalists, how to help them think like business people. And and I saw the huge impact we had in their lives. You know, that, that for 73 years, they had been taught. In fact, it was in their constitution. God does not exist. That was in their constitution. And yet in their heart of hearts, many of them thought there's got to be a creator. I mean, look at this world. Look at this baby that's just been born. And there was a longing to be able to explore faith as well. And so these farmers had an opportunity to explore faith questions with them in a winsome way. And I I was overwhelmed at the impact we were making in families' lives, families that still churned their butter by hand, families that still had wooden wheels on their wagons. It was like a time warp. And it was a Kairos moment for me because it put my whole quest for wealth building in the context of pain and suffering in the world I'd never seen before. So then I came back and sat at a ribbon cutting ceremony with you know, a bunch of other wealthy people moving into this beautiful building on the river. And I realized that this building is going to be torn down in 100 years. We're opening it today. But most buildings in America are torn down within 100 years, sometimes even 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I decided that Kairos moment is I want to invest my life in something that's going to outlast me. Mm-hmm. And that was a turning point because it became a primary metric of my life is to make a leveraged impact in a way that touches other people's lives permanently. And that was in 93. Mm -hmm. And that's about when you met Bob. 
No, that was so that's 30 years ago. I met Bob 25 years ago. Okay. Uh, five so, years later. So it was five years. So right around there. You know, but I think it's important for our listeners to kind of understand a little bit about your family life too. And you wrote about it in the book and you were very transparent about this. Um, you were in a middle income family in suburban Philadelphia. Uh, your father used to wake up, you said, at 6.05 in the morning, uh, get on the train, or he didn't wake up at 6.05, he was on the train at 6.05, and it in, and he instilled this very strong work ethic. And I think as we look at our roots, you know, and I look at my roots even, I had very similar background and upbringing. It was about working hard, applying yourself, being smart, being diligent. And you mentioned that you knew what success looked like for you, and you state that life, and you live, you wanted to live it to its fullest. You also stated that despite your success, your heart was never entirely satisfied with the pursuit of sex, success. In other words, this contrast that you're talking about in the book. Um, if for my listeners out there that are feeling the same advice, feeling the same way about life. You know, it's like they're pursuing success, but they're not feeling satisfied with success. What advice would you give them, the ones who've been programmed just like you and I through our parents, to work hard, apply ourselves, make money, put it in the bank, get a retirement account, you know, build a real estate portfolio, whatever it might be. And they've spent very little time really in the pursuit of making the world a better place through the gifts that they could give to other people who are in need. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say if you're feeling that smoldering discontent, that the pursuit of success isn't enough, then welcome to the club. That's that's very common. And yet most people don't have the courage to talk about it because it's just not that sexy it seems like we're playing down um, what everybody else is craving and what all the ads around us and social media is pushing us towards. And, it, you know, it doesn't take very long to realize that just more stuff, a uh, bigger house, a faster car, uh, you know, it is not going to do it for you. That pretty soon the joy of those things, they're okay, but they wane. There's got to be something deeper, richer, and more lasting than just simply more accumulating more stuff and growing your your net worth and your security. And so what do you do about that? Well, I think the first thing you do is it's more akin to archaeology than architecture. You look inside and you ask yourself, what do you really care about? What makes you mad, sad, or glad? One way to get at it is to get a, a global newspaper like New York Times or Wall Street Journal. Read it for a week. And just ask yourself, what makes me mad? What makes me sad? What makes me glad? What makes tear out articles that really resonate with your heart? And ask yourself, you know, what? Why is that? What? What am I passionate about in terms of, let's say, human trafficking? That pick a pick a city like Atlanta. There are 220 um, young women, young girls that are abused every night through human through sex trafficking in Atlanta, based on the best assessments. Uh, you know, when when you visit Atlanta, you sleep in a very comfortable bed in the JW Marriott or wherever. Meanwhile, there's 200 little young girls being abused in that city. Mm -hmm. If that captures your heart, 
that's an avenue where you could start to make a difference. And speaking about Laguna Beach, there's a lady that I've gotten to be uh, to know, and and she came through a halftime in Laguna Beach, and she loves biking, and she cares about sex trafficking, human trafficking, and she created something called the Freedom Ride up and down the Pacific Coast Highway to um, to raise awareness and to engage people who are also passionate about biking and freeing young women from human trafficking. That brings as much joy to her as the work she was doing in her big consulting firm. But you don't necessarily have to quit your job or stop your your earnings. It's about infusing your life with more meaning, joy, and purpose. One way to get at it is to think about how your time is allocated. Every one of us has 168 hours a week. So let's just run the numbers. Suppose that, um, Greg, you took 50 for sleep. And suppose that you take 50 for your business. You still have 68 hours you can allocate. Right. If you pick five hours a week or take four hours a week, and you invest in some kid downtown that's never been outside the city, never been to the ocean, never been to the mountains, never had someone tell them they believe in them. You'll change that kid's life forever. Mm-hmm. So it's not about having to quit your job or it's about setting limits on things so that you have time to think and to feel and to understand yourself well and then start to slowly deploy a little bit of your time in an area that you care deeply about. Well, I know that my listeners are aware that this show supports uh, Compassionate Communications Foundation, which is the foundation I started that helps the homeless. And I find just going out with gift cards on the street, recording people and finding out how they get there, I get a uniquely different perspective, just like you did from Albania. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that frequently because I'm literally going out there and taking the money that's so kindly gifted by the authors to do that. And my own money that supports this show and keeps it going because I don't ask anybody for anything. And I think you can do these little things. They don't have to be gigantic things. Um, You could spend two or three hours on a Saturday, which is what I do, uh, and just walk the streets and find people and listen to their stories. And then in my case, I videotape the stories. How'd you get out here? A lot of times you find that it's just some bad luck. Uh, mm. The rents got too high. They got kicked out onto the street. Mm. Um, they had a, a major incident in their life. They're not all bad people. They're people who've had unfortunate circumstances. And I think if you have enough compassion to actually make a difference for somebody else without any expectation of what's going to be done, and I think that's the key here. It's like what you're, you did. And I think you even do this, you know, now you, you look at your development. Yes, you make money from the seniors, but you love helping seniors. And, you know, I want to go back to this because this is a a couple's journey. This is a family journey, okay? Um, and this is the halftime for couples, right? And Linda helped you write this. And Linda was concerned at one point, we're going back now, about your financial insecurities that would come along with being guided by choosing to pursue God's calling. And and we have a spouse, all of us, that we have to work 
hand in hand with. What advice would you give someone who wants to make the shift but might have some doubts because of the financial consequences that can accompany that pursuit? That's one. Also, if you could speak about what you call the five areas of risk, the winds of doubt, the career risk, the influence opinion, being ordinary. Uh, I think these are important. And I think the fact that we're talking about a family unit here, because when, quote, the head of household, or maybe you weren't the head of household, but your wife had significant doubts. And I think it's important we address this because yeah. my listeners so, are going to have to deal with this as well. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, and, and, you know, she raises good practical questions all the time. So, you know, as a real estate developer, I was used to risk and um, I felt like it, if I was going to create some margin in my life so that I could explore other things that I found were more, were, were a good accomplishment, uh, you know, accompaniment to accomplishment rather, that were bringing more joy to my life, that would give me more compassion, that yeah, it would reduce our income potentially um, quite dramatically, but that we would be fine over the long term. And that if it didn't turn out that way, I could always go back and develop more projects. So that was just a pragmatic approach to it. Linda was thinking at the time, look, our kids are going to need braces. We've got college coming up. Right. (laughs) And, you know, she's just thinking uh, from the perspective of financial security. So I would say a couple of things. Number one, once you get clear on what you really want in life, then it helps you prioritize where you spend your money. And all we basically did was just make sure that we were spending our money coming from my buildings in alignment with what we valued. And one of the things we valued was money, was, was freedom. So here's a question that you, you can start by asking yourself. And Linda and I asked ourselves this question. In one word, what does money mean to us? Now, for some people, it means security. For some people, it means power, prestige or lifestyle, or fast cars, or, um, you know, great food. For some people, it means travel. For for Linda and I, we landed on freedom. The freedom to do the things we felt we were put on this planet to do and find the most joy in doing it. And now this is 30 years later. We are 30 years into a 50-year experiment to not only trust God to provide for us, but to to live into this idea that it's better to give than to get, that there's more joy in finding in meeting the needs of some, some poor child somewhere or somebody struggling with, you know, mental wellness issues. Or we've had the privilege of doing all kinds of things as a family around generosity. And it always proves to provide more joy. So I think the first thing is to decide for yourself in one or two words, what does money mean to us? And for goodness sakes, if money means to you just lifestyle or, you know, kind of great experiences, then you've you've made up your mind. You might find that those don't deliver in the long term, though. So for us, we landed on freedom. And as a result, we created a financial plan. And that's kind of the second point is create a financial plan that gives you the freedom. So, for example, we cut out some spending that we didn't think was really high value so that we could put the money into the things that we thought were high value. For example, we want our kids to grow up to be uh, global thinkers. In the uh, family room, we've got 
28 feet of floor to ceiling books, bookcases. They each had a five foot by nine foot section of that, five foot wide, nine feet high, with an unlimited books budget. And it's trained kids to think globally and to read and to be engaged and to be lifelong learners. That is priceless. We could have spent the same money in taking them to Disney World. And the trip would be over. But if you take the money you might spend on a Disney trip and you buy kids books, or if you take the money and you instead spend it on marriage therapy, so you build a great marriage, one of the best things you and I can do for our kids is to is to live a great marriage and to be a marriage-centered family, not a child-centered family. Mm-hmm. And to take our kids on trips where they, they see the poorest of the poor and the richest of the richest and to challenge them to give alongside us and, and to help them engage with the people we give to. So uh, those that's the pursuit, I think. You don't want to think about being poor. It's about being rich in right. what really matters. Now, the risks I faced were I was, I doubted, I didn't see many people choosing to live intentionally. They were choosing to follow the pattern of our culture. That's where I had the risk of a wind of doubt, as I call it. I was doubting myself. I felt I had a career risk I was taking, that if I stepped out of developing real estate, that the industry would change, and it certainly has. It's gotten way more complicated, and it may be difficult to get back in and to continue to build wealth. Today, to develop retirement homes like we own, are mu- it's much more complicated, not only to find and get approvals for, but to finance. And then there was the risk of influence. I thought my influence would drop off when I left you know, a CEO role, a president role of a development company. Instead, my influence has skyrocketed over these years because mm-hmm. I've had the privilege of serving people that today run some, you know, one of the guys that I've coached runs Goodwill nationally. He's got 110,000 poor people working for him at Goodwill. And I can influence leaders like that. At the, the person who runs World Vision is a person that I help coach at halftime, Edgar Sandoval. He has 49,000 staff, a $2.9 billion budget, and he serves millions of poor children around the world. I have way more influence now, but I was afraid my influence was going to just go away. The other fear I had was of my friend's opinion. You know, when we started just curtailing our lifestyle so we would be free to give, I I needed to buy a new car, so I bought a Honda. Well, you know, my friends would come by and say to me in casual, hey, how's your business doing? Because they thought my business must be going broke because I bought a Honda (laughs) instead of a Mercedes. I mean, I'm like, and so they- It's funny, it is funny. They thought less of me because I was buying a Honda. And then- Well, you say influence, but I think, and not to interrupt you, but I, I, you know, I work with people going through succession planning part of my other business. And there, I think when an owner gets to a point, 60s, mid 60s, sometimes earlier in their late 50s, 70s, they they want to still be um, relevant, right? What is their relevance? The business gave them relevance. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you, you were giving up the development side of things to commit your life to this new endeavor, um, which was designed to help and serve other people, which you were doing in your other business, but in a different way. And I think we all like to maintain relevancy, whether we're a man or a woman, we want to 
know that the world needs us in some way, right? That there's a that's way there. And what you said is this expanded beyond your imagination when you made the shift for the better. So there shouldn't be any fear to my listeners if you trust in God to actually make this step. And I think you have to have trust in a higher power, whether you believe in God, because I have listeners from all different walks of life you're listening. Whatever it is, you have to have that belief. Now, you you said that the halftime is a journey. You say you mentioned that halftime is a journey, not a process, not even a destination. Uh, could you speak with the listeners about the stages of the journey? Because we all go through, you know, these halftime stages and what questions we want to ask ourselves to provide insights and reassurance about the journey. Hmm. Yeah. So if you think about a renewal season in your life, you probably go through one every decade. Mm -hmm. Usually there's one big one in uh, at an inflection point in midlife at some point in your forties or fifties. It sometimes happens when your, you know, your oldest kid goes off to college and you drop them off and you drive home and you think, I can't believe it. I just brought that kid home from the hospital as a six pound little beautiful baby. And now they're 18 and on their own, at, you know, at school. And you realize that you're, you're at an inflection point. Sometimes it happens because you get downsized from corporate America or um, you have a health scare or a friend dies at 45 and you, you just freak out. Um, but you will go through renewals of one type or another probably every decade. And it's a similar journey. Uh, the first is taking the time to get clear on your vision. What is it that you, you're envisioning this next season of your life looking like? You can't build a strategy if you don't have uh, a clearer vision. Take some time to do that. You have to take time to go think and explore and quiet time. Silence and solitude is important. Now, the second stage is, is really kind of what I would call exploring or researching. It's an, an analytical stage where you're, you're, you're looking at your own skills. You're looking at your passions. You're defining the roles that you could play in an organization and uh, in coming up with scenarios, doing some um, exploring, some phone calls with people that are in the area that you're interested in. And then you do some low cost probes or some testing it out and actually trying it on for size and see if you love it. And then you build a new equilibrium. So you you're, you make an enduring impact. You want to think about something that you could do in with a sustainability to it, both financially and also um, you know, just in terms of the joy factor so that it really brings you joy. And, you know, so at the end of the day, you want to get clear, like I said earlier, a little bit clear on who you are, get free. So create some capacity and then get going and start and try something out and share it with your friends and talk about it with your spouse. If you happen to be married or your kids every year, I do a roadmap um, and you know, you're welcome to send mine out, Greg, to folks that are interested in it. But it has my mission statement. It has my long-term metrics. It has Linda's dream. It has our family vision. And then five action areas in mm -hmm. that for that year. 
And those action areas give me focus in order to get going. And, you know, when you write a plan down for your life, it gives you a significantly greater probability of actually executing on it. Of course. Yes. And I think just the mere fact that you've gone through some of the steps, but there are 10 steps in the halftime plan. And you said you would provide us with that. I think that would be a good opportunity for something that we could put up to let people look, take a look at. Um, and I did want to, uh, in the remaining time, I have two more questions I'd like to ask of you. And one is these companion guidebooks at the Halftime Institute, um, family-focused relationship resources, you call them. And uh, for my listeners, uh, you can go to www.halftime.org, correct, um, to get that. And there, you'll see these books listed. And the ones that I've flashed up a couple of times, these. Um, so could you just briefly kind of tell people what they are and what, so people know we're going to make those available to them uh, as downloads. Uh, Lloyd has uh, agreed to basically make that available and we will have them up at Google. And so people can get them off the Google drive and that will be in the blog. So look for that. We'll also put it at the posts that we make on LinkedIn and so on. So tell them a little bit about those resources, why you came up with them, and what those guidebooks are kind of meant to help people with. Yeah, if you're going to move from success to significance, if you're going to build a next season with more meaning, joy, and impact in your life, one of the core elements is going to be relationships. You know, as you get into your second half of life, deep, intimate, joy-filled relationships matter more to us than simply more accomplishment, certainly more than just more material stuff. And I found that many of us, many of my peers, were not equipped to build deep, intimate relationships. No one really taught us intimacy. No one compensated us for intimacy. We were compensated for being effective at what we were doing. And there there are kind of three categories to it. First of all, how do you build a great second half with your spouse where you're in alignment with your spouse? That's what Halftime for Couples is designed to do, is to give you a roadmap, a set of questions that you could take away on a date night and just work through. It's a 60-minute read. It's designed to be a 60-minute read, and there's a click that you can download a roadmap and start filling it out together. The second one is building a thriving family in your second half. You know what? I ask great leaders, what do you ma- what matters most to you in this next season? They almost always say my family. So I started asking them, Greg, tell me about your plan for your family. And they don't have a plan. I've never had somebody say to me, let me email it to you. And so I thought there's a huge gap is they haven't thought through what is my vision for my family? What are our family values? Why shouldn't we know each other's love language, each other's strengths, each other's fears, each other's opportunities? Shouldn't we have some generosity in the family? How could we become a more generous family, etc.? And so the book, Building a Thriving Family in Your Second Half, is designed for people like you and I, Greg, that want to lead our family to be great, but they're they're going off to college or they're getting married and they've got their own lives. And we wonder, what is my leadership role now that our kids are all in their 30s? This book helps, gives you a guide for that. The last thing I hear is most men don't have deep, intimate friendships. 
And it's hard to figure out how to build friendships at this season of life. Very often you've moved around a lot with corporate transfers. Maybe you have three properties or two homes, one in Colorado and one in Naples, Florida or somewhere, and you're disconnected. And they need a paint-by-numbers way to build deep, deep friendships. Do you remember when you were a kid, if you wanted to be an artist, there was a paint-by-numbers approach? Oh, yeah. I, I used to love those. Yeah, I, used, <laughs> I still love that stuff. You know? And imagine if you could do deep friendships paint-by-numbers. Mm-hmm. There's really four steps. The book, Finally Connected, helps you go through four simple steps. Who do you want to love extravagantly? They all have a name. When? When will they fit on your calendar? Put them on your calendar. What do they need to know about the deepest parts of your world that they don't know about? Because you could spell intimacy as into me see. And then lastly, how can I communicate it when it seems awkward to me? So you can see that those three books, that trilogy, are all 60-minute reads designed to help you build the relational intimacy and richness that you want in the second half of your life. And we're going to make all of those available, which I put them up during the course of your little talk there, the trilogy, uh, as a free download. So all of the you listening will have that up there, and you'll just click on the blog, and you'll be able to go into the blog and get to those. Um, there's also um, a book I want to mention, and I think you might advocate it. I know that Bo does, the one that connected us, which is the Family Meetings book. Um, and I think that's something that um, we'll put a link to as well. Jim hasn't been on the show as of yet, the author of that, but I think it's so important to have those family meetings. Um, so in our summation here, I always think it's best we take all this 45 minutes of talk and we distill it down into uh, some takeaways. And if you were to leave the listeners um, right now who want to lead a life of significance and take the journey we've been talking about and take the halftime questioning their contributions and how we can feel about our families and our relationships and our impact and footprint that we have left that we can leave in the world. What advice would you give them? What are three key areas, Lloyd, that you'd want to leave this listening audience with? I think the first one is to decide if you want to live a thoughtful, intentional life. You you really have to decide because our culture is not going to help you decide on that. It's going to send a myriad of things to you that just add complexity to your life and get you scattered and sloppy busy. So number one, decide, do you want to live the pursuit of intentionality without insisting on control? Secondly, Get clear on what you want long-term, long-term metrics for your life. If your life turned out perfectly, how would you know? And write those down. And third, know your purpose in life. Know the reason God puts you on this planet so that you can live into it. Because if there is a designer that created you and me with all the uniqueness, just like there's no two snow uh, flakes that are the same, there are no two people the same. We were designed intentionally And the joy comes from living into that purpose. So know your purpose statement. And and we can help you build a mission statement if you don't have one. But write out what you think your purpose is. Usually it should include your strengths, what you're passionate about, and the difference you want to make on this planet. Well, and you can get more information about all of this at www.halftime.org. 
if you want it. And we'll have a link to that, but we'll also have a link to Lloyd's uh, website, which is L-L-O-Y-D-R-E-E-B.org. Um, there you can learn more information about him, the books that he's authored. Um, and what I'd like to say here is that you said something about 20 minutes ago, and I think this was really, I think many, many people are curious about this. Uh, Lloyd said to basically, and and I, I didn't want to leave this one out, Lloyd, go look in one of the big newspapers and clip articles, because this is the beginning of your investigation as someone who's curious to really look at areas that really light your fire, right? You want to find something you're passionate about. And I think that then turns into the purpose, which then turns into a goal, which then turns into what we call proximal goals, subset goals. But we're all given focus, right? And he's saying, and I've heard this throughout several times, you've got to get focused. You've got to get a plan. But in in that process, he mentioned something that I think is really, really valuable. And I don't think many people do it. And that is go take the clippings from areas that light your fire, whether it's the pollution in the ocean, it's the wildfires, it's the, the sea turtles that are dying, it's the homelessness, it's something you're passionate about, and then write that purpose statement around it, and then create goals around that. And you're, you'll get there no matter what, whether it's teaming up with another charity or it's doing your own charity or it's just giving money away or giving your time. Uh, it's time, talent and resources, but you've been very enlightening today. And again, I'm going to hold up the book for a roadmap for this. Get from success to significance. Go out and buy this book. I think it'll be a great door opener for you. Definitely go to www.halftime.org and download download these pamphlets that he said that are an hour long read. Lloyd, thank you, thank you. Blessings to you and to Linda for all the work that you're doing, the difference that you're making for so many people about awakening them, right? Here's the key about awakening them to something that they can do that really doesn't have to significantly change their life. There doesn't need to be fears around taking this journey, right? Anything else you want to say? Yeah. You know, and the joy is, is the big thing. You know, I, I, my joy meter is at like a nine or nine and a half, Greg, out of 10, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and that's just, wonderful i just it's hard to describe that and yet it, i didn't have that before so everybody can find the path to joy when they listen deeply to who they god created them to be Thanks, well Greg. and and i and i want to add one thing and then i'm going to shut up and i think as you get older energy management is a key uh we realize that these bodies start to change a bit that we maybe don't have as much energy, but you get energy infused by doing the things that we're talking about. So if you want to have more energy in life, you want to have more blessings in life, uh, definitely take this path and this road. Lloyd, thanks for opening all of my listeners' eyes to it. Thanks for your contribution and blessings to you and to Linda. Thank you, Greg. Have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.